I've been watching more basketball recently, and I have two questions for you. One, I'll start with the first one. How much, am, am I, this might be my uh, unskilled eye, but how much traveling is there in professional basketball? It seems like an, a, a, a whole lot. Like people will do like these layup shots or they'll, they'll do all this like when they're getting towards the basket and they're about to shoot. And it looks like they're taking like three or four steps without bouncing the ball. Am I looking at that wrong or is that just kind of the way it goes? It's kind of the way it goes that the league over the past 10 to 15 years has migrated uh, more and more towards favoring offense. Uh, I mean, the reality is that's what people like. Um, and I think that's that's true of, of any sport. People, I mean, I think you heard a lot about this with even the Super Bowl a couple of weeks ago, right, where you had two of the best defensive teams in the league and you ended up having a pretty defensive-oriented game with not a lot of scoring. So the NBA is no different where, you know, if there's a rule that can be interpreted one way or the other, one way being more towards the offensive advantage, one being towards a defensive advantage, you know, the league is generally, I think, going to skew towards the offensive direction. So it's acknowledged that this is a commonly ignored rule. Um, I think if you were to ask an NBA executive, I don't know if they'd quite phrase it that way. But like players. Yeah, I mean, I, I think player, players are always going to adapt to how the rules are being interpreted. And if traveling is one of those things that isn't really being called consistently as a player, you're going to use that to your advantage. And is that logic the same reason why everybody in the NBA is like a professional falling down person? <laughs> um, well, no, I mean, that's actually in some ways the opposite where the league actually has identified that as a problem and has very specifically called that out as being an area of focus they started fining players uh, i think it was last year was the first year they started doing that it, it's had you know a questionable effect but um no that that's not something that the league wants okay and we're going to keep talking about sports for a little bit but i do want to remind people we will talk about exciting things later like uh, task management systems. So stay tuned. <laughs> um, and then my second question is uh, the uh, this weekend there was the All Star Game. Yes. So is this just a game where no defense, or I'm actually not sure which one it is, offense or defense, where where nobody tries to actually like block the other players? Is it just supposed to be like a collaborative effort, and everybody just tries to make a whole bunch of like scoring drives? Because it seemed like a really high scoring game that nobody was trying at. Well, yeah, this was the the highest scoring game in All Star history. So, yes, if it seemed like a high scoring game, it was. Um, I mean, every All Star game has a very similar pattern where it's it's basically people putting their hands behind their back on defense for the first three and a half quarters, and then in the last six minutes, particularly if the game is close, that's where you'll actually see the teams you know trying on both sides. So, this is another unwritten rule. Basically, and you know, I guess it's something that has just happened slowly over time. So I haven't, I guess it hasn't really stood out in one particular year. Um, but one of the things that, I don't know if it was TNT that did this, or maybe it was ESPN, it doesn't matter. But they were showing clips from uh, Kobe's first All-Star game, which was in 98. And they were they were showing highlights from that game. And it actually did, for the most part, seem like players were playing decent defense. I mean, not 
not what they would play maybe in a regular game, but I don't know the the clips that they showed certainly didn't look anything like you know what we saw on Sunday. Gotcha. All right, and then we're going to round this out with, and and you're welcome to uh, have any introductory thoughts if you'd like to as well. But um, do you have any uh, interest in um, being a great pal and buying me a Leica Q? I'm sorry, a what? A Leica Q. I I, I have no idea what this is. Oh goodness. Um, Leica. How do I how do I spell that? Uh, L. It's. <laughs> Uh, L-E-I-C-A. It's a oh, right. very, very, very famous uh, German uh, camera manufacturer. Oh, the, ca- the camera company. Okay. Yes. A camera or a Leica Q. Yeah. And you want me to buy this for you? I think based on our sponsorship progress that we've made. Boy. why? So why is this camera $4,250? Because it's made by a fussy German company. Mm. and they do like they they are not like a high volume manufacturer and they make um they make decent cameras with uh amazing lenses and image sensors and it's this camera is just so insanely good what do do you think about the the red logo on the front i think it looks sharp yeah i kind of i like i look at it and i like it but then i look at it again and i don't like it Hmm. so Take a quick preview of, of the link I just sent you. Okay. Yeah, this, plays, this plays really well on the show here. The Leica Q, a six-month field test. So, And you can just skim and just look at the photos. Is this a, is this a Squarespace website? It kind of looks like it might be. That's pretty, pretty nice looking. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean that as a compliment. I'm looking. I'm looking for some of that Squarespace money, so I can so I can so I can buy you this camera. You you haven't mentioned who, who like which website this is. Nobody nobody has any idea. But like the image quality is is insane for the size of the camera. The only thing that comes close to this is the um, Sony RX One M Two, which I've also because I'm a, I'm a Sony fan. But this one is also pretty damn expensive. But this one's 42 megapixels for a full frame. Uh, yeah, I uh, every once in a while I'll catch myself um, really wanting a, a standalone camera again. It's been over a year and a half, I think, since I sold my DSLR. Mm-hmm. But I just hmm, there's just such a small number of instances in any given year where I really would want a standalone camera. Like it, it's it's kind of an old person thing to say, but like I'm really at the point where. I don't think it would make sense for me to get one until I had kids. Hmm. You know, I feel like your kids, particularly when they're young, that that's that's a time of their life that you really want to capture and document. Like I'm, I I I have a decent number of photos from when I was a little kid, but I, I wish I had more. And I'm I'm jealous of some of my um, friends who have like more videos and pictures. Like it's just, it's that time of your life that you, it's so much fun, you know, years or decades later to go back and look at. So I, that's a time where I think having a standalone camera really does make sense. But like at this point, you know, I just, I don't know. Do you, but I, hmm, this is tricky because I, like, I don't want to get too personal, but like you do, it's wrong to call them like adventures, but like you do do like planned events or like things that aren't just like, ah, I'm just with friends and I, 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 there's no chance I would have planned this. Like it, it's not unreasonable to think that you could carry a reasonably sized traditional camera with you. 
Yeah, no, I think that's true. But in, in those situations that you just described, you know, my iPhone camera gets me 90% of what I'd want from a standalone camera, really. I mean, you think about the areas that it struggles, it'd be low light situations. Um, it'd be, yeah, I mean, any situation where like a flash is something that you'd want to use. I mean, Apple Apple can hype up the whole two-tone flash thing all they want, <laughs> but um, it's still the weakest part of that camera by far, I think. Mm-hmm. But I, I, mean, I think during the day or in any other situation where there's good lighting um, and all you're really looking to do is, you know, kind of take photos of your friends and with your friends, I think, you know, the iPhone works well. I, mean, I guess maybe the other thing would be yeah, I'm taking like landscape photos. Those also, I, I obviously just with the way that you can mess with, you know, the field of view and the zoom, obviously on like a, a larger lens on a standalone camera, you're going to get better pictures there too. But that's, I don't know. When I'm out with my friends, I'm I'm not really looking to take a bunch of pictures of the, you know, surrounding area, I guess. I, yeah, I still think there's a lot to be to be gained from this, but I, I totally understand the concern. The two things with these two particular cameras I'm talking about, they are pocket-sized asterisk. Like they're, it's not like DSLR territory where you need a separate bag or you're wearing some gigantic thing. Like in a coat pocket, it is, these are potentially able to fit. But still, it's another device. It's not inherently internet connected it does have wi-fi and you can do image sharing and all that kind of stuff but yeah i i understand your point also is the it's with pocketability in mind is the lens that you're going to have on it most of the time is it small enough but also you know versatile enough i think on the leica q i actually don't think the lens is interchangeable i think you can just put different hoods on it oh wow yeah it could be mistaken though Okay. Well, anyway, that that was my uh, two cents. Although, uh, last thing I'll point you to is on the uh, B&H Photo product page for the Sony I linked you to. For a $3,300 camera, I do like the part where it says build your bundle to save up to $13. Oh, yeah. They're, well, $1,380 to be exact. Every cent counts? I mean, you can also get, it looks like maybe a good deal on like a Sony um, memory card. Spare batteries. Yeah. All right. So you are now, um, I believe, a month in with OmniFocus, right? Wow. Yeah. Time, time flies when you're staying organized and having fun. As when you you're getting say. things done. Ooh. Wow. Kind of got a nice ring to it. <laughs> I'll, I'll see if I can write a book about it. <laughs> because there's a book called... Okay. Yeah. And anyway. So uh, do you have an update for people? I like it a lot. Um, there, there's, there's so many different things that I like. Um, I like the way that the inbox works. I love the workflow around the, the inbox where I can just, as things come to mind, dump them in, dump these thoughts into the inbox and then organize them later. I love the way that the review functionality works. Um, I love having thoughts organized into projects. Real quick, can you go um, further into the in depth into review? Yeah, um, I, you know, I think for me, you know, there, obviously at the highest level, there's sort of two different categories of actions. There's stuff that has to get done by a certain time, and then there's stuff that really isn't particularly time sensitive, but it just kind of gets thrown into OmniFocus. And 
you know, I will periodically, if I have some downtime, sort of just look through my projects and look at all available remaining, you know, tasks. But it's also great once a week uh, to really do like a full comprehensive review um, of actions. And really what I'm looking for there is actions that now, you know, maybe when I initially put them in OmniFocus, they really didn't have any sort of deadline or time I wanted to get them done by. But, you know, maybe now a couple of weeks later, they do. And so it's an opportunity to go in and, you know, make those kind of updates. Okay. Makes yeah, sense. In, in general, uh, ringing, ringing endorsement. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, I think if I, if I go back and uh, think about like when I first started using RSS or when I first started using Fantastical, with both of those applications, um, you know, Reader, I guess, specifically for RSS, um, like, yeah, I kind of knew right away that they were just something that was going to stick. Um, and years later, that's held true. And I, I think OmniFocus is in that exact same category. Very good. So in that case, now that you're bought in both financially and mentally, um, can we, uh, well, do you want to start with the positive or the negative? <laughs> you just, you, you build me up to tear me down. No, not at all. No, and this isn't about you. It's about uh, kind of just OmniFocus in general. So do you want to go with some, uh, maybe uh, some cool tips that I have or that I've thought of or uh, some complaints that I have that I didn't tell you about until you bought in? Let, let's start with the positive. Okay. So have you gone into any of like the advanced features or kind of familiarized yourself with the keyboard shortcuts? No, and I think in general, except for Excel, where I am, I'm a I'm a you know keyboard shortcut wizard. Um, outside of Excel, I'm I'm not a very strong keyboard shortcut user. Okay, and this does this doesn't actually have to be like a shortcut. This could just be a feature that maybe not everybody knows about. Uh, so a couple things. Uh, did you buy the Pro version on the Mac? I did. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> I like I like your resigned sigh. Well, it, it's it, I'm, I'm not using any of the. the well, you you might. That's not true. I, I do have one custom perspective that I started playing around with, but anyway. Okay. So have you have you used the focus feature? No, I have not. Okay. So this is one thing that I actually really like uh, that is worth the price of admission for Pro. So what you can do, and feel free to follow along, uh, everybody at home, if you go into a project, like let's say you go into like, uh, I'm going to go into my like uh, company work stuff. And then if I hit um, Shift Command F, Shift Command F, okay. So that will then create uh, an impromptu custom perspective that uh, shows you only that project folder. Right. And now what you can do is you can go onto Forecast, and you can look at your work stuff segregated from everything else. Hmm. Which I find really really useful. Because sometimes if I am busier at work or if I'm at home on the weekend or on an off day and I don't want to think about work, it's nice to be able to segregate those projects so I can kind of see what has a due date, but only on the things that I want to look at. And that's something that is really useful that you can apply to almost anything. And also, like, if you just, like, let's say you're just paying bills or there's some type of task and that's all you want to see and you don't want to even think about what's bothering you or what, what you have to do at work. Just shift command F and it just hides everything else. Yeah, I could see this being really useful too if there was a specific project that you wanted to tackle and you really wanted to, you know, push aside other projects, you know, from your mind for the time being. So you could really 
you know, as, as the name of this feature implies, focus in on this one particular project. Yeah, this seems really neat. Sure. I, I like this. And also, and, and do also note that you can always make a duplicate OmniFocus windows. So you're welcome to have a window that has everything and then uh, create a new window that's focused in on a single project in case you want to switch back and forth. Mm, nice. And then um, if you are like uh, completing a whole bunch of tasks uh, and uh, you can always do what's called a cleanup, which you can do by doing command K and that will kind of put everything into a nice tidy state. Yep. That's pretty great. Um, and then one last uh, pro tip for the Mac. If you select, like let's say you do, you select an item, you do shift and you select like five more things below, you can right click on them, go down to sort, and then you can either sort them by their name, by their status, or by due date, because sometimes you'll work in a project and you uh, want things organized by due date, but you've changed things around. And I find that really, really useful. Yeah, I, I think that is an actually an area that I've struggled a little bit is how to sort actions within mm -hmm. projects um because yeah some some projects due dates make sense other times like a simple alphabetical list maybe makes sense sometimes it's just random priority but that's not necessarily um a sequential project right and this this is a that, that's a nice quick way to go in and and sort however you want i like that yeah all right and then one uh final tip and this one is going to be for ios uh, on this one, you can long press, and I think I've actually said this before in the podcast, you can long press on the home uh, back button in the upper left to go back to the main screen, no matter how many oh. taps in deep you are, which I find really, really nice. Yeah, that's actually been my probably maybe my primary complaint about the iOS app is if you're in a project, I mean, it's three or four clicks to get out back to the main page. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it took me like three years to figure this out. So, <laughs> well, I mean, long press hasn't been. Well, no, long press has been around forever. It's three D touch that's new. Oh, so oh, so this is what happens: is you you long press and then it pulls up another button that you click to go home. No, no. So like, oh, so you go. Into I don't have my I don't have my phone in front of me, so I sure, can't, sure. can't play. So if you go to here. let's say you go to projects, you choose a folder, you choose a project, you choose a task. I can uh, long press on the back button, and then I'm back home. And I don't have to hit the back button five times. Got it. Yeah. So yeah, that that's uh, kind of my uh, update and things I've kind of refined in my workflow recently. And now, uh, do you have time for a few complaints? I was going to say now, now that we've now that we've reached the the top, let's let's come back down the mountain. Sure. And after I've got you one hundred twenty dollars into this, <laughs> uh, uh, Mac or iOS first? Um, I, let's go with iOS first because I I'm. I'm I'm also maybe a little more lukewarm with the iOS app. Okay. Uh, perspectives don't work on iOS the way you'd want to, them to most of the time. So the way I use perspectives on the Mac, which I do like, is is kind of a, a hybrid thing of like kind of that focus feature where I have things that um, either combine separate projects that might not be in the same folder that are related to kind of personal activities or errands and day offs type stuff. And then I have one for work and then one for uh, other stuff. Um, and those are great on the Mac. You can edit them in any way that you want to. You can add uh, new tasks into certain projects in line. And all that shows up just fine on the iOS version. But uh, you can't add a new task when you're in a custom perspective on iOS unless you tap the uh, Create Inbox Item button. 
and then you manually go and select the project it belongs to. Like inside a custom perspective on iOS, there is no add task button. And that drives me insane. That's that's not ideal. I you know, honestly, the the iOS app has just really for me become the place where if I'm not in front of my Mac and something comes to mind that I want to make sure gets captured in OmniFocus, I just quickly create an inbox item. And then, you know, maybe I'll do some very light sorting from there also on the iOS app. But that, that's really about it. And then obviously I use notifications um, for when things become due. But yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't use the iOS app for much else. And on notifications, you, you know that you can swipe from right to left on it to either snooze it or complete it? Yes. Good. Um, so yeah, that's my big complaint about the uh, iOS app. Um, and then on the Mac one... Um, yeah, and it just, particularly on iOS, it just uh, custom perspectives are just, are just weird and messy and I, and I don't like the way it's implemented. And also like if you have your iPad in front of you, or if you have your iPad, whenever you're using your iPad, um, it is more appropriate to do more substantial work on it. And that's when kind of the custom perspective bugs, uh, become more glaring. And then lastly, uh, for me on the Mac, uh, moving due dates when you're acting on multiple items is broken and has been broken for like two years. What do you mean? So let's say you're in the forecast view and you have two things that had due dates today and unfortunately you didn't get to them, but it's safe to move them to another day. If you have the little inspector open on the right side and you go to the little due date section and let's say I press the uh, one day button, the plus one day button twice, it will do that, but it will reset the time of day to the default due date time. Mm. And, and if you do it just if you only act on one item, it's fine. It moves it the number of days you told it to, and it retains the time. But if you do it to more than one item, it sets it to the default due date time, and it drives me insane. Yeah, I think that actually brings up something that I also don't like, which is with the due date functionality, when you're just looking at your list of actions and any sort of perspective, if, if you don't have the inspect window on the right-hand side open... You don't actually don't even have any visibility into the time which the item is due. You you just see the date. Unless there's a way you can change that. Well, no, I guess it's just that I pretty much live in the forecast view, in which case it's broken down by day, and then by that definition, it shows you the time because it's a child item underneath a day. Right. Um, but inside projects, no, I totally, yeah, it just, because I always have the inspector open. I don't see any reason to close it. But it is kind of lame that you don't see the time of day until you actually select the item. And, you know, I, I have taken your advice to heart from a couple of weeks ago where I'm, I'm very selective about using due dates. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not a huge problem, but it would be a nice to have to be able to see not only the date, but then the time of day sort of just across the software, not just in the forecast view. Yeah, I think the response or kind of the... Um... The defense of what the way it works or the reason why it works is that that might be too much information. And by the time the item is getting near its due date, you would be you'd be interacting with it probably in the forecast view. Yeah, that's I, I know it's not great, but yeah, that's probably why. Okay, well, that, that actually that doesn't make me regret my $120 worth of purchases. <laughs> yeah, overall, it's good. It, it's it's great. Um, 
and you know little little sidebar so this has actually been a recurring topic on the last two episodes of upgrade uh. where <laughs> where it was revealed that you know Jason Snell doesn't really use a task management system I mean he, he kind of does he uses calendar and reminders and um, I, I let's let's not get into all the like kind of the craziness with the way that he uses calendar and stuff um, but I, I am reminded that, you know, before starting to use OmniFocus a month or so ago, I wasn't really that different, actually, than, you know, what, what Jason does. And it kind of is one of those things, again, using the analogy to Reader and FantasticCal, now that I've been using OmniFocus, you know, similar to those other two apps, it's kind of hard to imagine the time before I started using them. Yeah. I, I don't want to go too much into his system because whatever works, he, he's a very productive and, and successful and uh, person who... who good. That is a good point. It, it, you know, doing doing whatever works for you. Sure. But the one thing that I will maybe... I, and we've talked about this briefly, but we can kind of recap it. But like I have a philosophical thing about what a, um, what a calendar is for and what like notes and to-do are for. And I, I found the way that he suggests that he uses kind of, he like blocks off time of like kind of when something might be like a to-do list item due date to do something. And I don't know, I just, I, I feel very strongly that using a calendar is for like things where I have to be somewhere or something that involves somebody else or something where the time is like defined and also inflexible. And now I, I'm super picky about that. Whereas a, a to-do list or like a omnifocus task uh, or project is more, I don't know, like it, it could be edited more and it's, it's for like a different type of thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, whatever, whatever works for people. Whatever makes you happy. As long as you're not using your uh, uh, email inbox as a to-do list, it's good <laughs> in my book. Who would do that? Oh, it's, it's so challenging not to, but it's, yeah. Yeah. No. So I have. Um, so I've also started using Momentum at your. I'm just taking all of your software advice now. Sure. And one of my or two really of my um, uh, habits every day are when I leave the office uh, in the evening, I ensure that my Omni Focus inbox is clear, and I ensure that my email inbox is clear. Hmm. Interesting. I've, I've, you know, I've also really, I've gotten into a decent habit where, you know, emails, it, it, this is kind of the Merlin man inbox zero thing where it's, you know, email comes in. <laughs> he and, hates that so much now, but yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. Well, I mean, it, it's, it, it, you know, it's true. It's it stuck with me now, especially now that I have OmniFocus where, you know, email comes in, a, you either, you know, act on the email. So if it's a, if it's a response, if it's thinking about something, you, you do something with the email or you you know simply dismiss it and basically archive it if it doesn't require anything or you know if if it does require something and it's not something you want to do now it becomes an action in omnifocus so yeah, i try to do that throughout the day but then if some things have built up throughout the day you know i'll spend the 10 to 15 minutes uh before i leave to you know kind of first clear out the email inbox and then from there make sure that my you know tasks in omnifocus are organized into projects very nice yeah you're talking like a productivity guru i know i like momentum by the way you just made it a pick of the week so i'm not going to do that this week but i've been using it i think since you know since wednesday last week since the day after we recorded last week and it, it's nice i 
I, I'm the type where I, I don't like that little red notification badge on any of my apps. I'm a little OCD about that. And so I actually like that with momentum. I like having that badge there because if that if there's still a number there, it means there's something that I, I want to clear, you know? Wait, what badge is there? Because I, I think I just instinctively did not allow it. Why would there be a badge there? It shows you the number of uncompleted or incompleted habits. What what do they call them in there? Is it are they just called habits? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the number of habits that you haven't checked off for the day. Mm, so it's okay. kind of like a it's kind of like a constant reminder. So like the only two things <laughs> I have, I'm glad I have that turned off. <laughs> the only two things I have badges turned on for are that and overdue tasks in OmniFocus. And I, I, I like only having the badge for those two very specific things because there are things that you know should be cleared. And so I like that constant reminder that they should be cleared. Nice. Cool. Glad it's working out for you. All right. So what's next? Um, well, I think this will... We'll we'll round out kind of the productivity, personal development talk. So I I, th- I put this uh, I suggested this as a topic, and I don't think I was super clear on what I meant with it. Uh, but it was being happy with what you have. Yeah. So what what do you mean by this? With this one, I, I don't mean like kind of in the sense that like oh to be happy with like the your level of income or like your uh, any of any of that kind of stuff. I mean, like, uh, particularly like as like a, a, a nerd or somebody who's like super picky about stuff, do you ever have trouble, um, just sticking with whatever, like programs you're using or whatever, like just anything where you have a choice in it, do you ever kind of become really picky or you're just, you get kind of enthralled with researching other options? Much less so than I used to, um, you know, growing up, I was the type where, I would obsessively try to figure out, you know, new and better software that I could use to organize things. Um, when I was in the whole, you know, building a desktop PC gaming scene, I would be constantly tweaking video card drivers and swapping out different hardware components. Um, and I was, I was never content. I always wanted that, you know, higher benchmark score or, I always wanted my contacts to sync across devices in a more automated way. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Be, 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 no, I remember be, when that was a thing. Yeah. Um, but now I would say that my time is just much more limited because you know, the, the times that I'm talking about are middle school and like early high school where, you know, no job, you get out of school two thirty, three o'clock every day. Um, you get three to four months of the year off, you know, there's just, there's just a lot more, a lot more free time. And, you know, now that my free time is more limited and the little time that I do have, I have much different, you know, priorities uh, than I did as a, you know, 12 year old. So, um, so no, I guess for me now, it's not as big of an issue. Although I guess I, I do still generally consider myself the type where i'm never quite satisfied but i guess i don't necessarily spend as much time fiddling with things hmm. if, that, if that makes sense yeah maybe i'm not sure i'm, I'm getting at the right thing then hmm. well i mean so, so so tease this out here as you would say <laughs> wouldn't say that <laughs> um i don't know just like uh... Like you don't ever like uh, I don't know like camera apps like for uh, for your iPhone or just like certain things like you don't ever I don't know 
just super picky sometimes about, about stuff. And I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be more aware about the time that I'm wasting trying to like have, have different tools or do something different than rather just either enjoy what I'm actually doing or get done whatever I wanted to get done. I'm getting better about it, but I'm still not as good as I'd like to be. But no, I'm glad you've kind of worked through that. I kind, I kind of have, yeah. And I think now what I'm tackling, which I think is is somewhat related, which is, you know, kind of only really investing time, energy, and especially money into things that I really, really want to, and things that I think I'm really going to use. Like I, I mean, I look around and I like having all three video game consoles seems dumb for me um you know having a standalone camera also was dumb although i did you know sell my dslr and i've I've been without that for a while now um but i think just in general sort of streamlining the things that i own and the things that i you know spend energy on um that's something that i've been focused on and that that is an area i think that i i do need to improve a lot more because i do still make stupid frivolous you know, tech purchases and all that kind of stuff. Can you give me an example of something that you've uh, skipped or like moved past that you think like older you or younger you might have, might not have? Hmm. Like you said, you've made some progress with it. The the, the 5K iMac. No, that that was a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think I think even just a few years ago, that's a purchase I probably would have made by now. Particularly in the context of, I have one cinema display that I use for both my desktop and my MacBook Pro. It even has has issues that have been <laughs> that, we, that we've discussed on the show. Although I'm looking at it now, and that little little sp- spot isn't really showing up right now. It knew, it knew you were about to speak ill of it. Yeah. So that's something. Like I used to, that's how I totally used to be. Where like, if a piece of technology would show any sort of sign of being broken, like boom, it would get replaced. But now, you know, yeah, the cinema display has the little weird spot, and yeah, it's you know only nineteen hundred by twelve hundred or whatever it is, has a sixty hertz refresh rate, all that kind of stuff. Not good for gaming, whatever. Like this is something that um I I would have I would have replaced already. Um, but, but now, no, you know, it's, it, it's, it's fine. I, the reality is I spend very little time at my desk here in my apartment. Um, and that's, that's the type of thing I'm trying to do more of now, right? Is it's realizing, Hey, I only spend maybe two to five hours a week sitting in this chair in front of this monitor. So why would I go out and spend, you know, either $800 to replace just the monitor or a couple thousand dollars to replace it with something like a 5k iMac. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Okay. So three, three things on this. So I, I will defend my 5k iMac purchase just because. Oh, but see, I'm not, but I'm not at all attacking your purchase because I think for you, it makes a lot more sense. No, no, but I'm, I'm a bad influence of trying to egg you on when you're, when your circumstance is very different. Uh, second or second thing, uh, going back like five minutes, the one thing I will say is a perfect illustration of what I was trying to kind of uh, describe what I'm trying to work on is uh, like momentum. Like when I picked that out, I tried like six other things before that to find one that worked for me. 
And while that maybe was worthwhile because I found a really good one, that was probably like a couple hours in the app store I didn't need to spend. So anyway, that's that's that. And the third question is, what is, uh, on that note, w- uh, what's the deal with Oculus right now for you? <laughs> Sorry, that that's where I was like. <laughs> it's, uh, that's an example of uh, the other direction. So Okay, so what does that mean? Well, no, 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 it, it's, it's actually not. So I, I, th- I think I, I continue to think about that purchase a lot. I mean, and again, my credit card has not been charged. I have not invested a dollar into this yet. Um, and I, I, I literally have gone through and, you know, looked at my budget for the year and thought about the amount of money that would it take to, to get up and running with Oculus and what that looks like in the context of my budget. So that it actually is something that I'm putting a lot more thought into than I previously would have. And, you know, ultimately it might, it might get chalked up to just like, yeah, it's a bit of a frivolous purchase, but it is an area of technology that I am really, really interested in. And I really want to be sort of at the forefront of. So as of now, you're still, it's a 95% chance you're going to let that ship. I think so. I mean, and then the other thing too is I've got a couple of I've got two you know close friends who also pre-ordered um, the Rift, and they both are in exactly the same position where their desktops are not up to snuff. So we're you know we're talking about building computers together and that kind of stuff. So it becomes you know a bit more of like a social thing too. So you are letting that uh, purchase go through. Based on the fact that it's not just a six hundred dollar purchase, it will probably end up being a sixteen hundred dollar purchase because it requires building a new PC. You've resigned yourself to that. Th- that's the that's the context that I'm looking at it in. Yes. Okay. Cool. No, I mean it, again, that's you're getting a you're getting because gaming is somewhat of a priority. It sounds like it's been less so recently, but it's a priority for you, and it's and it's got other it, it's got legs in other areas. Yeah. Is that that's not weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the show title <laughs> no um yeah that uh the the eve online valkyrie thing looks pretty neat yeah um yeah i'm just i'm just super i'm super interested in rift and it's it's not even just really like the games even though that's really all we've seen so far and maybe actually that's sort of a segue into a topic that i had this week um which was what this article is um is this Recode? I, I try to have my my tabs nice and open this week uh, or organized this week. Yeah, Recode. So it's an article uh, tapping the brakes on the virtual reality hype machine. And really, like the like the punchline here is, it, you know, it, it, I think the the context of this article spends a lot of time looking at is is the movie industry and how they've sort of been bitten by. 3d movies and how that that really hasn't quite taken off in the way that some people thought that it would and you know one of the big problems with that or i think one of the big reasons why that happened is because there was sort of just this mentality of just taking existing film and just slapping a 3d filter onto it or you know doing 3d post-processing and there you go and that that's what can't happen with vr I think it's going to be such a huge mistake if video game developers just take their existing games and basically just port them to the Oculus. You know, they basically put you in front of a keyboard and a mouse, and now instead of using the cursor for looking around, you just you move your head around. Like, that's, that's not going to work, and that's not going to be a good experience. 
and same thing with movies too if if you know blu-rays are just basically dumped into the oculus store and then you can digitally download movies and then i don't know maybe inside the oculus it looks like you're sitting in a movie theater or something like that that's not (laughs) that that's not that's not gonna that's not gonna work that's not gonna get people excited so i think the really key thing with this whole vr movement and this is actually the part that i i am excited about but it but it's an unknown so i get you know why people like you are skeptical of it because at this point, it's just sort of this vague concept, which is there's a lot of potential there. And I think the things that VR could allow us to do is what makes it exciting. But the, the, the idea of just taking what we already have with digital media and porting it over, that's boring. But it's sort of like those unknown unknowns that are, that are really exciting. But again, you know, I think a healthy dose of skepticism is, is totally warranted. Well, you get to be on the bleeding edge this time. Yeah, maybe. I am so I'm not a I'm not a thousand percent committed to it, but yeah, I'm it's it's in it's in the budget. It's it's tentatively penciled into the budget this year. Good. Um and I guess the other the other small item that I had before we get into our, our big topic this week is uh Bill Simmons on his podcast this morning. I guess it wasn't on the podcast, it was initially just in a in a post, but he talked about it on his podcast today. Um, he's going to be creating a new website uh, called The Ringer. Uh, right now, there's not a ton known about it. When you go to the website, it's just a splash page with a link to sign up for a newsletter and then a link to follow them on Twitter. And then I think they've got like links to uh, the Bill Simmons podcast and the Channel 33 podcast, which is the other thing that he does. Um You know, in, in general, I think it's going to be something similar to Grantland, although... On the of the podcast episode where he talked about this today, he very specifically said this is not Grantland 2.0. This is something that is looking to kind of build off of what they did at Grantland, but it wants to be something. I think the phrase that he uses, he wanted it to be more modern, um, and you know, kind of inspired by Grantland. Um, he also actually said a lot of really interesting things on the podcast. You should, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast itself, you should listen to the first, I think it's like the first 15 minutes of today's episode, because he goes into a lot of detail about his time post ESPN and sort of what his thought process was getting to where he is today. Um, and like, you know, kind of specifically the thing that you should listen for is, I guess he he created his own media company and then... He also signed this deal with HBO, but like now, the way that he phrased some of the things on the show, it makes it sound like the podcast and even like The Ringer, they're actually not HBO um, run, but rather like the only thing that really HBO like owns is the show that he's going to be doing with them. And then like the, this website and the podcast and all this other stuff is more of like, a partnership with HBO? I don't know. He didn't, I guess he didn't really get too specific, but it was, it was pretty interesting. Yeah. So is he, I, I, I don't get the extent of the HBO agreement then. Well, so he, he's, he's going to have his own show on, on HBO starting. Um, there's not an exact date on this, but probably sometime in the spring. And so I, th- I think that's really the explicit thing that he's doing with HBO. But will that just be uh, him as a standalone personality or will that, I mean, I know it's unknown, but would that 
because like Grantland in in the stuff from that website that made that made it onto ESPN was not just Bill Simmons talking. It was generally a collaboration between like all the whole like everything that was part of the website. Well, I saw in one of the write ups today that um, I don't know if it's the one of the executive producers or one of the writers or maybe even both. Um, from the Daily Show are now um, associated with this HBO show, so maybe sort of a Daily Show style program, or like you know, last week tonight with John Oliver kind of thing, something like that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, he hasn't really talked a, a whole lot about it. But yeah, I guess it sounds like maybe like these podcasts that that we've been listening to for the last few months maybe aren't like an HBO venture necessarily. They're run with Simmons's media company and then which he didn't even I don't even think he gave a name to it. Um but then he's he's got this partnership with HBO. Yeah. Okay. Um all right. Well so is it is it time? Elephant in the room? Yeah. Or actually no. Yeah, this it's Weird, weird week for Apple, or not really, but yeah. So do you mm. do you you want to do the summary? Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, w- when did this happen? Was this yesterday so the, or Monday? Yeah. So the well, no. The, so the ruling was uh, yesterday evening, okay. late late yesterday afternoon, yesterday evening, which would be Tuesday the sixteenth, and then Apple's response came uh, early this morning on the seventeenth. Sure. So uh, late last year, people will remember there was the uh, San Bernardino terrorist attack, uh, which was a mass shooting. And uh, after that, the uh, the law enforcement uh, agencies uh, recovered one of the shooters' uh, phones, which was an iPhone 5C, which is password locked on a current version of iOS. And iOS 9, of course, makes it so that after 10 wrong attempts on a password, it erases your phone, uh, but the 5C is a phone that does not have a touch ID, so it is still technically feasible that you could uh, circumvent the uh, security uh, using very specific tools that don't actually exist yet. And basically, uh, the law enforcement agencies and the FBI uh, went to uh, a federal court to try to coerce Apple into cooperating with them to build a backdoor into the software and create a uh, kind of a a single purpose version of iOS that would allow law enforcement agents the uh, option of brute forcing the password by trying several thousands of combinations uh, in a row without worrying about the potential for erasing the phone, which is uh, a weird request for a government entity to make of a private company period but also that it it's it seems unheard of that the uh that a federal court is um invoking a 230 year old law to try to coerce apple into creating uh custom firmware which is not something that you would have thought of in 1780 uh Solely for the purpose of breaking um, well, 17, actually, 1789, to be fair. Sure, sure. <laughs> Those extra nine years it is, is the difference between uh, how that generation would have known why encryption is so important to digital freedoms. Yeah, so I mean, so what, so what you're referring to is the All Writs Act, which is what the, the government cited in their argument, which 
he literally was um, in its original form created in 1789. And then according to Wikipedia, which is, you know, of course, never wrong, um, the, the current form of the act actually passed in 1911. So, you know, only 105 years old now, technically. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is basically a, a general statement saying that the Supreme Court and all other courts um, established by Congress can kind of kind of issue these writs, which are necessary in aiding their respective jurisdictions in carrying out orders. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of kind of crazy that this argument is is founded on a law that's you know two hundred years old, two hundred plus years old. So what it gets down to is that uh, a federal court is 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 basically saying it's required that Apple help them break the security features of their products. Yeah. So I mean, so Apple in in their letter which they posted this morning, which I, to their credit I thought was was well written because it was very very specific and very plainly spoken, but but in a in a really smart way. And one of the most memorable lines for it, um, I think, is, um, you know, they, they talk, they go on to talk a little bit about how up to this point in the investigation, they've been cooperating with the, um, government officials. They've, you know, even assigned specific engineers to answer questions. Um, but then the end of this sentence here says, but now the U.S. government has asked us for something we simply do not have and something we consider too dangerous to create. They have asked us to build a backdoor to the iPhone. I think that the, the the part about being too dangerous to create is that's such, that's such an interesting phrase because I think that's that's really what the issue is. is well, it's that a very true phrase. It's a very true fa- phrase where you know people have you know come out and have have said you know yes Apple Apple can do this you know they. They say that they can't, but they actually can. And in some ways, you know, both people are right. Right as of this second, Apple cannot access the data on this iPhone. So that so that's true. But but yes, it is also true that if Apple were to come up with this custom version of iOS and then flash the phone with that updated version of the software, then yes, they could go in and um didn't try to do like a brute force attack on the phone. But Apple, which they say in the letter, considers that too dangerous to create. And I I couldn't agree with that sentence anymore. It's 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 really very, very true. Um and it's it's upsetting to me that so that like elected officials and people who are supposed to have the best interests of the American people, um disagree with this and are either dumb or like not no no i'm gonna go with that are dumb and can't like just think about the ways that this will be misused like there is um hold on you can cut this out but uh a senator tom cotton uh who who basically says that apple is putting uh the information privacy of a mass murderer uh, above the safety and security of the u.s people like it, it's stuff like that where and this is this is the whole thing that goes along to something that's a much bigger issue than this specifically which is kind of the whole security versus encryption debate of just 
the fact that like so many people are willing and in power are willing to suggest that it's worthwhile abandoning just some kind of fundamental freedoms to personal privacy in kind of this vague idea of uh, greater security. Well, and that's and I'm, that, that's I'm glad that you brought up that quote and it kind of pivoted to this point because to me that's what it simply boils down to. Um, and there's a obviously a very famous Benjamin Franklin. Don't say it. Don't quote. say it. No. What? Why? Because that the quote you're about to say has nothing to do with what how people use it now. In in what way? When Benjamin Franklin was talking about the uh, people who would trade uh, uh, liberty for security, the the quote the quote is those who sacrifice liberty for security deserve neither. Yeah, he was talking about taxation at the time. Well, okay. Anyways. Yeah. Yes. No, that that's true. No, because I looked this up earlier when I was like, oh, yeah, I remember there's a really good quote about this. And apparently uh, NPR did some research and he, that's not what he was talking about. Well, you know, no, I, I, I've, I've heard that as well. But I actually do think that the... I, I, I think the way the way that you can can interpret that quote is is very much as if you ignore the context, it, it is uh, pretending it was said by just some dude in two thousand eight. Exactly, it right. is fantastic, right? Because uh, th- and that's the thing. I would like, and this goes back to the thing that we were talking about. Um, I think two weeks ago with Super Bowl City, when I was mentioning kind of just my uh, unease with kind of like the militaristic like style security at an event like this, like. As an American, like I would prefer, like if those are the options, I would prefer to be less safe than to feel like we live in a military state or that individuals no longer have the right to secure their property or information. So trading personal freedoms for which this country was allegedly founded on uh, for for this vague notion of safety from like an unknown threat, which is decided upon by whoever happens to be um, in office at a certain amount of time or in power and of uh, like or what whatever, I, I don't think that's a compromise we're willing to make. And specifically going back to the technology topic, a, 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 a like a wide reaching popular pro- like manufacturer of technology products, setting the precedent that they will cooperate with the government and law enforcement to break the the security measures and and structures that their customers buy their products for and trust uh for one instance it, it it's just going to get abused down the line and backdoors aren't necessarily only meant for law enforcement or good guys if encryption keys or forensics tools and this kind of stuff gets out of their hands it's now just in the hands of everybody so even the quote unquote good guys no longer have that protection, right? And that's uh, Apple again to kind of quote their the letter one last time. They actually they open with this exact point. They say the United States government has demanded that Apple take an unprecedented step, which threatens the security of our customers. We oppose this order, which has implications far beyond the legal case at hand. This moment calls for public discussion. And we want our customers and people around the country to understand what is at stake. And I, th- I think that's so important to call out, which is, you know, the government's made the argument that this is a one-time request. I, th- I think there, I don't know if this was in the court documents or if this was in some statement made after the fact, but the FBI has indicated that they would bring the phone to Apple's campus and that 
whatever custom version of iOS needed to be created could be installed on the phone at Apple's campus. The phone could be unlocked there and then data could be retrieved. And then the, that version of iOS could then be blown away without the phone ever leaving Apple's possession. But even still, I mean, our courts in such a large sense are founded on precedent. You know, so much of law and interpretation of law is founded on case studies and of um, prior rulings and it just in general precedent. And so by following this order, you can say this is a one-time thing until you're blue in the face, but you just know that when a similar case comes to mind in the future, if Apple were to have just gone along with this, this would have been cited as an example of what companies should do when requests like this are made. Yeah, it's, and I just can't, I, I, can't, I just can't stress enough how, how important the idea of encryption and like personal security is. And, and here's the thing, Apple is, it's easy it's it's a it's a very uh, correct and and noble uh, position for them to take, but it's also Apple. It's important to understand that Apple doesn't make their money the way many other companies make their money. They operate based on sure design and ease of use and that kind of stuff, but a lot of it is trust uh, between them and the consumers. And since Apple is in the business of selling somebody a piece of hardware, there is zero incentive for them to cooperate with this type of thing. Because all that does is hurt their brand image and the uh, kind of trust that they have with the buyer. So so it's, it's a great thing that they're doing, but it also is a little bit self-serving. But I'm glad it's that way. Because any, any type of any type of like backpedaling or, or like caving into the idea that uh, encrypting data is, is a personal right and that you, you should have the ability to trust the software that's in your phone or, or any of your devices. Like that, that's, again, that's just a fundamental personal freedom. Well, yeah. And I, you know, I, I agree on one hand that it's a little self-serving, but on the other hand, Apple has now come out and publicly opposed the government, which is trying to prosecute a known terrorist who killed, you know, over a dozen people in San Bernardino. That, that's, <laughs> that, that takes a lot of courage to do. It. It it does. It definitely does. Yeah. I'm, again, I'm not going to deny it. I, I I just there are other factors at hand. But again, there it's something that I completely agree with. Yeah, I I, I do too. It I I think trying trying to frame this as a one time use case doesn't make any sense to me. And the the out the outcome of this you know air quotes single use case. It, 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 law doesn't law doesn't work that way, and it, I think it set, it sets an incredibly dangerous precedent if Apple were to just go along with this, and I, I don't think they should. Because we we already have companies like like Google, and and also the thing is like also with iCloud, uh, the government has has received access to any information that was stored on their servers because that is something that the government does have access to based on warrants and subpoenas and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's just the individual hardware where that I think that is something that's just not up for debate. And and there are senators and and, and people in power that like Diane Feinstein, like uh, and, and people who you would think are sensible 
elected representatives of the people who so easily and and again i don't know if it's a fundamental uh, fundamental misunderstanding of the issue but are are willing to take the opinion that uh, security is uh, like perceived security is more important than personal freedom and encryption like both hillary clinton and diane feinstein both support backdoors uh, for the us government into encrypted technologies Again, that that's just again like zooming out a little bit. I think that's the thing that concerns me more than anything about this. Yeah, I I agree with that. <sighs> um, yeah, it's glad touch idea exists <laughs> because again, like that is um, that's the other thing that we should say. Like this, uh, I I said in the intro, but this is something that only is a question for debate. Because it's a five C. No, well, so there there was some follow up on that. That that was the story this afternoon. But there was, is there, there was, a, is there a hardware hack or something on on Secure Enclave? Yeah. So there there was so Gruber and some others had 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 kind of uh, posited that theory, which is you you know if this had just been one generation later uh, with a device that had Secure ID or Touch ID, confusing the two phrases, uh, Touch ID, which then you know, consequently meant that it had this secure enclave, this hardware component, um, that this would not be kind of eligible for this type of hack. Uh, but, but it would be, I think some, I think out of some, I forget who, what the original source of this was, but someone had a conversation with someone at Apple indicating that they technically would be able to do some type of, um, uh, firmware flash to kind of trick the, the hardware enclave. Interesting. Although it would be a, it would be a different method than what is being described with kind of creating like a custom version of iOS. It'd be sort of this different thing they would have to do. But Apple theoretically could do it. But it would probably still just be brute forcing the password, right? That's that's the place that you would get to. But yeah, I think kind of the way that you get there would have to be a little different. Sure. And not not to put yourself out there, but I have a question: do you, uh, What kind of password do you use for your phone? Do you do four digit, six digit, or alphanumeric? Oh, alphanumeric, of course. Oh, thank God. Oh yeah, I mean the. So that's the other thing because it's it all. This also becomes a moot point if you use a, a half decent alphanumeric password. Right. Because that just with any modern computing power to to break the AES encryption would just take years, which may which makes it irrelevant. Another feature that iOS has is there's a break that you have to take a that in between attempts at at the password so you you can't just continually be entering passwords you know every second it's, it's but i thought that was the whole point of the custom software they were asking them to write which is it would eliminate both the 10 attempt issue and also the rate limiting oh yeah that's probably true but still even if you got one attempt like every like fifth of a second if you have a decent alphanumeric password it still takes years right right yeah well, I, th- I think I think what we've said we've said what we wanted to say there, but I, I think the the punchline from both of us is that I'm I'm incredibly happy that Apple's taking this stance. I'm I'm impressed with the the letter that they wrote, um, and just just in general, I'm I'm impressed with the stance that they've taken. And I I think the the takeaway for me just from a strict like tech perspective is I look around at all the the major players. And I think Apple's the only one that would do this. I think if you put Google or Microsoft or you know even like Facebook in this position, I, I don't know if they would respond mm. in the same way. 
Maybe that's a little unfair because they're, it's, a, it's they're unfair not the... because they're in different businesses. Because Apple's in the hardware business, and 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 Facebook and others aren't. And again, the type of like well, but because you've, you've well, seen Apple's at the, at the core, though they all deal with your personal information, and if they the, certainly do, and if the sense of your personal information being potentially accessed by third parties, you know, specifically the government is at play. They all have a vested interest in in kind of limiting that. Sure, but also so I'm gonna send you another link. Like Apple does receive uh, requests all the time for uh, for account information from law enforcement, and they, to the same extent that a Facebook or any type of uh, cloud service provider would, has to turn that information over. Yeah. So I mean, I I think it's different. I think again, as somebody as a company that makes primarily hardware. It's an easier thing to do only because they don't really have a say because subpoenas for um, remotely stored information is already something that's been written into law. All right. Picks of the week or Better Call Saul? We're doing both, but. Let's do Better Call Saul and then we'll do the, we'll wrap up with Picks of the Week. Okay. So, so yeah, Better Call Saul is back. The season premiere, uh, it, was, it was on Monday, right? I watched it on Tuesday, I guess, but I think it was on Monday night. Yep. Um, I think both of us really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, the uh, first season definitely, and second season uh, so far, pretty great. Again, it, it's I forgot how good Vince Gilligan is with uh, with suspense and just kind of the cinematography and just it's it's also great. When I so so what they do here in the season premiere is they open it exactly the same way that season one did, where we actually get this scene that's post Breaking Bad, where we get Saul working at the Cinnabon in I mean, what is it like North Dakota or something? Um, basically this other identity that he has to take on to get away from all the madness that had taken place near the end of uh, Breaking Bad. And I had actually, I had completely forgotten about that. I'd, for, I'd forgotten that's how they opened season one. So that was really neat um, to see it again in season two. Um, but I was also reminded through that scene of the, the most brilliant thing about this show is how it both completely stands alone as its own thing, but you also get a little bit more out of it having the context from Breaking Bad. Like that's such a hard balance to strike and they they just they do it perfectly. Mhm. And uh, and are we saying this is a spoiler uh spoiler zone? Oh yeah, I th- I think so, yeah. I, I think okay. I, I think this would, we're totally in spoiler zone here. If we had, if we had a spoiler horn, we we'd sound it right here. Sure. Oh, hey telephone. <laughs> um uh, yeah, just the like uh, so, uh what's his name? Uh, uh James McGill. That's his name. Yeah, James, Jim, Jimmy, James, James, Jimmy. Jimmy okay, Miguel, sorry, yeah. it's been a while, so I keep. Well, so I, Saul. so you, I, I, I ever tell you my trick with TV? What I do is before before the season premiere of um, well, a new season, I go back and watch the last two episodes from the previous season. That's always my routine. <laughs> I wish I had the time because that's a really that's a really smart thing to do. Because honestly, yeah, you you do loot you for you forget character names, you forget story threads. Um, so yeah, I, I watched the last two episodes from season one before watching, uh, the season premiere and I was, I was pretty much back at the speed. Hi- highly recommend that technique. Yeah. Just, yeah. Time. 
Yeah, but it's 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 worth it's worth the investment. You don't want to sit there spinning your wheels of trying to remember names and story threads and stuff. All right, I'll add a Tomney focus. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like just the opening was perfect, but also just the stuff like uh, that you would you that wouldn't uh, detract from your viewing experience if you had no idea what it was. But just the uh, the SG the Saul Goodman was here thing was just perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that that opening scene was really good. So he so he is taking out the trash at the end of a shift. The Cinnabon, Cinnabon's in a mall, so he's he's got to take the trash to kind of like this community trash area that's shared with all the other stores, and it's in sort of this back room area that's behind a locked door. And as he's putting the trash away, the the little stopper that he has on the door comes loose, and the and the door slams shut, and he has no way to to get out of this room through that door. But then he discovers that there's an emergency exit door on the opposite side of the room, but there's a note on it indicating that if the door is open, that the police will be immediately notified, which obviously in his current state at that time is not in his best interest. And it's just, it's such a, it's such a subtle little thing, which exactly like you said, you know, if if you haven't seen Breaking Bad or if you've kind of forgotten a lot of what happened in Breaking Bad, it's still an interesting moment. But if you have that full context of what happened in, happened in Breaking Bad, it's 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 an even, you know, more satisfying thing to see. Um, so I think you know, like the episode itself, that my big takeaway was that, you know, you and I both left season one thinking that okay, you know, beginning of season two, this is this is where he's making his turn to Saul Goodman, you know, away from um, James McGill. And, you know, the, the first part of this episode makes us think that way. Like he, he turns down the job offer with the, the new law firm that's being brought on to work on the case that he started. He um, is, you know, conning a handful of people at this little local <laughs> resort that he's just kind of bumming around at. So like, you really do think that this is like the start of Saul Goodman. He rips off the piece of paper with his name on his little, you know, back office in the nail salon. But then at the end of the episode, he kind of has this revelation that he doesn't like what he's doing and he ends up taking the job at the law firm. So it's almost like a um kind of like a false a false start uh to his his transition to Saul Goodman. You mean the first part or the second part? I mean, this is kind of the episode in general, kind of like the cliffhanger that we had with season 1 and then what that transition into season 2. Like I I think I think we're not we're not quite to the point where he's going to become Saul Goodman. Sure. I think I think a lot of it was just his relationship with I forgot the woman's Kim. I, I, Kim. Kim. I, I watched it two days ago. Um so it's all it's kind of fuzzy now. But yeah, I, I think it's his kind of fun experiences with her and his uncertainty of, of their relationship that kind of maybe forces him into that. I, I don't think the Saul Goodman like I think they're gonna play this out for a while. I don't think that's coming for for quite a long time. I think this this year him and Mike kind of get further into it with like their own little collaborations as him as the cleaner. But uh, yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, it seemed kind of obvious that he was going to take the job eventually, right? No, I, 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 no, I I guess Hmm. I, I was left, I, I was left thinking after season one that maybe season two, this would be now the, the slow descent into becoming Saul. 
Gotcha. Because, yeah, like when he first walked in, it didn't seem like he was totally going to take the job until he discussed with Kim that this didn't necessarily mean that their relationship was going to progress. Well, that was neat because we didn't we didn't exactly know when that scene took place. And it, it ends up being that it, it took place in between two of the different shots that we saw at the very end of um, the season finale from um, last year. Like basically all we saw was him pull into the parking lot start to walk towards the building yes oh yeah 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 the the but then, okay but then yeah. you know the camera then basically cut to him leaving the parking lot and it it turns out that he actually had gone into the building and then the scene that we now saw in this this season premiere happened damn your strategy is very sound oh it's it's very very sound <laughs> and you you got it you really got to do the last two episodes you can't really just do the last one because you kind you kind of need two to mostly for like the story threads yeah because it's all, it's all coming back to me now, so I get okay. We got to do these weekly because because <laughs> you'll just explain all the stuff that I forgot. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, it, it was it was very very good. Um, and then just jumping around a bit, like when he gets his new fancy office, um, I do like his whole uh, the light switch thing. Just he had to know he had to know why not. What's what's that about? Nothing. I think it's just his personality where he he's being told not to do something. And he just has to see what the actual consequence is. That's what I got out of it. There's got to be more to that. that well, I'm, light sure switch. So. Oh, I'm sure something happens to it. But I think that was the immediate thing of him just testing what consequences are. It's just, it's so, this, this, this show on paper sound, I was so skeptical of this show. Well, it's Bob Odenkirk. He's, he's a very versatile actor. No, he is. And it, it was all the same, you know, creative minds as there were behind Breaking Bad. But just it, spinoffs are such a rare success and i mean like this show i think is just as good as breaking bad it's good in a different way but yes yeah but i mean but it 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 stands toe-to-toe with breaking bad it's it's not better but it's not worse i mean i I honestly think it's it it it's it hangs right up there with breaking bad which is i mean that's very very high praise i do enjoy how hateable uh easily hateable the um pharmaceutical shifty guy is yeah yeah uh it's pretty he's, good. it seems like he's probably gonna get get what's coming to him yeah but uh, mike warned him yeah, he did <laughs> oh man that, that the whole the whole thing with the hummer is pretty good how did he want to repeat like the allegory that he told about no about the climate control? But that, that was yeah. it was all so good. Mm-hmm. And what did you notice too that he had like shoes with? I guess well, I guess they were they were pretty explicit with showing the shoes and how they were the same color. They matched the paint job. But then he also I don't know if you noticed he had a watch that also was like it was like a red watch with a yellow band. Like he he was totally in with the red and yellow look. No, I, I did uh, his his license plate saying Playa, uh-huh. but also. Uh-huh. But that reminded me that Saul Goodman, when he is Saul Goodman, has uh, on his car, his on the Cadillac, uh, it had the license plates that said lawyer up. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So it's just stuff like that. that I, it, it, Good attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm, I, we said it, I think we said it last year when we were doing these recaps is it, it's, it's the show that I look forward to watching most week to week. Um, and it, it's instantly become that again. Yeah, it snuck up on me. Like, yeah, it just yeah, yeah. Like a couple days before it came on, like, oh, it's back. Right. Uh, what was I gonna say? I hope they don't do any like split season BS. 
Is it is it is is it AMC they or didn't, is it... it is AMC, but they they did not do that with season one. I I think. But they, they've been doing that with The Walking Dead and also with the couple, final couple scenes of Mad Men, right? So that's AMC's hallmark now, isn't it? Yeah, when, with, with Walking Dead, it, it's, I think it's also just more of a function of the time of year that show is on where it doesn't make sense to have that show run through the holidays. Like A, you know, ratings are down and kind of B, like that's just not the style of show, I think, that people want to see over their, their Thanksgiving dinner. Um, so I think it, it kind of makes sense for them to take November and December off. Um, but then, yeah, they, obviously they're like what they did with, with Mad Men. Um, yeah, hopefully they don't do the same thing. Well, I guess with Breaking Bad too, right? They split the last season into two parts. Yeah. But I know, I think, you know, season one of Better Call Saul was only 10 episodes. So I, I think they'll, although I guess the last season of Mad Men was only eight. So or seven even, right? Wasn't it like four and three or something like that? Sounds right. Yeah. But yeah, really, really, really good show. Yep. If you liked Breaking Bad at all, and really even if you never saw Breaking Bad, you, you got you got to see this show. Super, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's it just one of the best shows on TV. And, and luckily it's less, um, it's more... This is going to be the wrong way to describe it. It's more story-driven rather than action-driven than Breaking Bad. Yes. At this point, which I greatly prefer. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I think it's got something for everybody. You know what other show I've been been watching, which you're you're really not going to like? <laughs> uh, no, please tell me. I've been watching that FX show, The People versus O.J. Simpson. It's... It's bad in so many ways but it's also really good i kind of i kind of hate watch it we're gonna move on from this because i i don't i have a fundamental philosophical uh dispute with people who ever claim to watch something like oh it's so bad it's good or like nope oh so i'm all i'm all about that respect uh moving on (laughs) I knew I knew you wouldn't like that. No, no, I I I endorse what I I uh, I think the the phrase kids use is "you do you, sir." Oh, okay. That that is that is what you would say. Number sign, you do you. Right. Okay, so let, let's wrap this up with picks of the week. Yes. All right, you first. Uh, my pick of the week is uh, techmeme.com. but specifically, uh, at the top of the page when you click on the date. You can change that to uh, anything uh, since the site's been in existence, and I think it celebrated its 10th anniversary recently. So let's say you just want to see what happened today, 2012. You just change the date, and it'll show you what was uh, happening. And then that uh, showed that the top news of the day was that the iPad 3 has a retina display. So if you ever get bored at work or something and and you want to, to... just kind of waste some time. Uh, this is super fun and educational, especially if you go back to just really, um, if you go to dates when you know something happened, like uh, when the iPhone was announced or just some type of news stories, it's good to find out how wrong people were in, in the tech press. So I always love that. Huh. That's my pick. All right. That's a good pick. Uh, so mine is Firewatch. Um, mm. so, so I think we, I was thinking about this, we talked about this, but I think it was before we started recording last week. I don't, don't believe we mentioned this on the show. So this is a, a new game made by Panic, 
yes, yes, that that panic, makers of Transmit and Coda, um, they have made a game. Um, it's available uh, PC, Mac, and PlayStation 4. Um, I had the day off of work on Monday, and so Sunday evening I downloaded it for my PC uh, using Steam because uh, I wanted to then you know connect it to my TV, and then I've got an Xbox controller hooked up to the PC, and then of course there's the whole Steam big picture mode, which I've talked about on the show, works great. Um, and it's it's only about a three to five hour game, depending on how much kind of side story stuff that you do. Um, but it it's really good. Um, it's it it it's it's suspenseful in a way that I've never felt from a game before. Like there's not a lot of like jump scares or anything like that, but it near the end it is just excruciatingly tense. Like everything you do, you're just like you're just your palms are sweaty, and you just like, you just need to know like what what's going to happen next. Um, and and please keep it vague because I because I intend to play this, and I don't play games. Yeah, totally. And I I, I would love to do some type of recap with you once you've played through it so i won't say anything about the story but it's it's just my my heart was just about to pound out of my chest by the end of this thing like it's it's really really suspenseful um and it's 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 not a um like it's kind of it's almost like a, a game sort of in 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 air quotes like there's really there's really not a lot that you're doing like there's not there's not a lot of puzzles there's not a lot of like there's no leveling up there's it's it's very light on the game mechanics, um, so it's very approachable, you know, if you're not like a big big gamer. Um, but it's it's awesome, and I, I do recommend if you can playing it how I did, which is kind of just like in one sitting, because it really is like there aren't really like levels. Uh, it really is sort of just one continuous narrative. So. You know, I, I think you'll get the most out of it if you're able just to kind of play through it in one sitting, which if, if, you're, if you're really efficient, I think you can do in about three hours. It took me a little over four. Um, but yeah, it's 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 good. It's really, really good. It's, it's 20 bucks. So. so to clarify, if you're not a gamer or you don't really haven't kept up to date with modern games, it's easy to pick up in terms of controls and, and you know what to do. Oh, very, very much. Yeah, very, very much. And it's a beautiful looking game. I can't imagine how great it would look on your 5K iMac. That's, I think I have a Saturday night plan. Yeah. It's, whew, boy, though, it's. Shh. Ugh. Hush. Yeah. No, just, I'm just telling you, like, if, like, I, me personally, I'm not into, like, scary movies and that kind of stuff. So, Shh. like, I struggle. I'm not, I'm not giving away anything. You're, you're, I, I didn't even know that it was, that it had scary twists or scary anything. So, you're. Killing me. Scary's not scary's not the right. It it's tense. But it's very good. So it's like breaking bad. Or it's like it's like Better Call Saul. <laughs> no. It's it's, it's Well not. no, weren't weren't you tense when uh, that that they the first meetup without what's his name? Yeah, this this is different than that though. <clears throat> uh, that that's all I'll say. Uh was there uh you saw the the Darth tweets uh, with him as like a ranger ranger Darth. Yes. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. That's not in the actual game. Uh, unfortunately, I, I looked for Darth, but I, he was nowhere to be found. Sorry. Dang. Dang. Sorry if that's a spoiler. Maybe DLC later. 
I've been so I've, the one thing I've been kind of meaning to. There's a couple of podcasts out there where some of the panic guys have given an interview, and I'm sure there's some articles out there. I I want to know what the story behind this game is. Like, how did they go from making an an FTP well, no, no, client no, 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 no. to a game? We, we should we should clarify. So, Panic is um, they serve as like a distributor slash advisory role. Like, so the the actual game developer is called Campo Santo. Yes. Which that is, um, so it's not like Nevin and Cable and, and the people that are writing the FTP software. Well, that that's fair, but I, even still, like it's it's just, it's interesting that they even got into games at all. I'll send you a link, and you can read this later. And again, this is not interesting to anybody listening on the podcast. But um, Panic does um, yearly like year end reports. And the 2015 one has a lot of uh, kind of cool stuff about their current business, but it also speaks to kind of what um, the deal with Firewatch and that uh, relationship was. Okay. Yeah, this is that's exactly what I wanted. Yeah. But it's also good to know about, because they, as a really established, like, again, to finish out the podcast, I'll, I'll use this. Um, as a very established software developer, they too are having tons of trouble trying to make money in the app store on ios mm-hmm. so pay attention to that section that was uh, pretty good god this game looks beautiful it's it's such a sharp looking game yeah you you're you'll enjoy the heck out of it okay and i i, I do i want you to play it so we can talk about it okay yeah. thanks for keeping it vague i um 60 chance i will have played it by next week okay those are the odds i'll give okay yeah, we'll, we'll we'll dedicate a part of an episode where we go into a big kind of spoiler cast and talk about everything. Yeah. All right, dude. Well, I think I think that's all we got. All right. Hopefully my phone stays secure for another week. <laughs> See you then.